Matthew 18, verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, If two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Well, perhaps you've heard a Christian say something like this. I'm very thankful to my brother for having the courage to come to me and point out what I'd done. It was an act of love, the faithful wounds of a friend, and I was able to say sorry. Or maybe something like this, I'm so grateful that my brother raised it with me. They pulled me back from real danger. Some of us here will have heard Christians say something like this. Some of us will have said things like this ourselves. These are the kinds of words we hear when, well, when heaven meets earth. When the forgiveness and reconciliation in the kingdom of heaven is expressed on earth in the life of the church. The issue we're thinking about this morning is to what extent is the sin of a Christian brother or sister our concern? And what we'll find are verses that are challenging. They're a call to be willing to take costly action. And they require us to act with great love and humility. But they're verses that really matter for us in the life of the church. And they matter especially because every little one, every follower of Jesus, really matters to God. Our key verse this summer has been from chapter 16, verse 18, where Jesus says to Peter, you are Peter, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And Jesus' church is a gathering of people who confess that he is the Christ, the son of the living God who trust in his death on the cross for forgiveness of sins and who've taken up their cross to follow him. 
And Jesus has told told us that as we follow him, well, we must turn and come to him like little children. All through this passage that we see the language of little ones. And little ones refers to Christians, all Christian disciples. And little ones will understand that we have no spiritual credit in the bank before God, but instead are utterly dependent on his mercy. As the hymn Rock of Ages puts it, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. When we see ourselves like this, you see, we won't look down on one another. Instead, we'll have a great concern for one another. Just like our Heavenly Father has a great concern for us. So our verses this morning, well, they follow on from the parable of the lost sheep, which Jess read for us. Verse 12, Jesus says, What do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray? Does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that's gone astray? And if he finds it, truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it's not the will of my father who's in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. I remember a few years back in the education world, there was a big initiative in schools called Every Child Matters. Perhaps teachers will be aware of it. And the idea was to ensure that every child in the country had their key needs met. Well, in God's family, every child matters. And in a world where stumbling is a danger for little ones... Our Father desires that none perish. And in our verses this morning, Jesus tells us what it will look like for that concern of our Father in heaven to be displayed in the actions of humble disciples towards little ones on earth. So our plan for this morning is to look at the issue here in verses 15 to 20 and the attitude that Jesus is calling for. That will be our first point, a humble concern to gain the little one. Then we'll look at the practice He lays out for us to follow a loving procedure to gain a little one. And finally, we'll see that heaven is behind this because it's in the church that forgiveness and reconciliation in the kingdom of heaven is visible here on earth. A heavenly mandate to gain little ones. So a humble concern to gain little ones. Verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, You've gained your brother. It's worth saying that brother here is a term that means Christian brother and Christian sister. Um, Men and women, I'll use it interchangeably as we go along this morning. And I want to spend some time on verse 15 because it's here we'll get a handle on the issue. And I hope it's here that we'll see the attitude that we're to approach it with. Because there are two dangers we will want to guard against and be alert to. And the first is misusing these words of Jesus here to serve ourselves and in a way that will cause damage to a precious little one. And the second is of excusing ourselves from ever acting on these verses and so failing to help a precious little one in need. And so I think we'll see three things that will help draw us, draw this out and help us see how to approach this. And the first is that the situation is one of sin. There is sin and it's a danger to a little one. We saw last week um, that through verses 6 to 8, the word the ESV translates sin is a word that means to stumble, to trip over, to stub on a rock and fall. And Jesus wants us to be really careful not to cause another little one to stumble. In fact, to forego anything 
so that we might not stumble and another might not stumble. But then in verse 15, we get the word sin again. And here it means to transgress, to break the law. And so stumbling will look like rebellion against Jesus and his word. The straying of the sheep in verse 12 will look like acts of rebellion against Jesus and what he says. The issue here is sin and it's a danger. And it seems to be a sin against another little one. Do you see that? If your brother sins against you. Now, there's some debate about whether those words against you were in Matthew's original. There are various arguments either way. And it seems to me hard to be decisive. If we include them as the ESV does, the scenario Jesus has in mind would be where a brother or sister sins in a particular way against another Christian. If we don't include them, then it would read, if your brother sins. And the scenario becomes one of us seeing a brother or sister falling into sin and not turning away from it. And even if the words against you weren't originally there, well, surely the situation of a sin directly against another would be included. Either way, the principle Jesus gives will apply to either situation. And we can see that particularly as we consider the reason why Jesus says, verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. You see, the reason we would go and speak to our brother or sister is to gain them. The goal is to gain. And gain here means to win back. So this is the image of going after that lost sheep that strayed into danger. Maybe it's on the edge of a ravine or caught in a briar. To go after them, to win them back, to bring them back to safety. And so it seems to be a situation where the sin of this brother or sister puts them in danger of stumbling. Now, the normal Christian life looks like recognizing sin, confessing sin to God, sometimes to each other, saying sorry, repentance, forgiving and receiving forgiveness. This morning, we've confessed our sin to Almighty God. We've said we are truly sorry. We have repented of our sins. And that is a normal part of Christian life shaped by the cross. And so when verse 15 says, go to our brother and tell him his fault between you and him alone, that we might gain him, well, it must be a situation of unrepentant sin. Perhaps a sin against us, which seriously damages the relationship that breaks unity, and there's no repentance, perhaps not even awareness. Or perhaps it's a persistent sin that we observe, and our brother is unaware, there's little thought of repentance, and there's spiritual danger ahead. Or maybe it's what we might call sin with a high hand. That that is that they know it's wrong. It's a blatant denial of Jesus, but it's unconfessed and it doesn't seem to bother them. It's a sheep straying into danger. And the goal of Jesus' instruction is to go and lovingly lead them back to pasture. And I think this really helps us then to guard against a misuse of this verse that would damage a little one. Because it's possible to take this verse and use it to justify bringing up every little thing a person does that annoys us or offends us. Um, This isn't a mandate to be going back over past sin that's been confessed and forgiven. It's not permission to point out things that are just our personal preferences and differences that we have. And we're not going to tell our brother his fault to try and get even, to take revenge or to punish him. We're not approaching our sister to try and heap shame on her or justify ourselves. No, our goal is to gain, 
This is about reconciliation. It's about restoration. Because, well, that is what we're about as God's family. Jesus' church is a gathering that knows forgiveness. We've been forgiven an impossible debt by God. And Jesus' church is a gathering that knows reconciliation and restoration. We were once enemies, but now receive mercy from Jesus, the compassionate king, and been restored into the kingdom of heaven. And so we'll want to approach a brother or sister falling into unrepentant sin, even if it's against us, willing to forgive with a goal of reconciliation and restoration. But with that same goal, that goal to gain in mind, well, I think that will also mean we'll be careful not to misuse this verse and cause damage where we don't need to. Peter was here as he heard this, and in his first letter, he wrote, keep loving one another earnestly because love covers a multitude of sins. But in the life of a church, there will be many times when we annoy one another, we'll say something, we'll do something, we may sin against one another, and it will be right to forgive in our hearts, bear with one another in love, and just leave it there. Because actually to raise it would not be a help to our brother or sister, and it would cause more damage. But Jesus expects there'll be some times when motivated by love, we'll need to go to them, willing to forgive, seeking reconciliation for the sake of the love of a little one. And so we'll be going to them with the hope that they will listen Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. All through this passage, listening comes up four times. It's there in verse 15. And then in verse 16, but if he does not listen. And verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them. And if he refuses to listen to the church. So the question is, will our brother or sister listen or not? Now, perhaps you've come across those um, listening techniques in the workplace. Perhaps you've had the training about body language and playing back understanding. And they're really helpful things and they're of great benefit. But that's not quite what Jesus means by listening here. In Matthew's gospel, to listen is to act. In the previous chapter, Jesus was transfigured on the mountainside. Peter, James and John were there. They heard the voice of God from heaven say, this is my son, listen to him. And there, God did not mean that they show good body language and play back to him what he just said. It meant action. Listening was to take up their cross and follow Jesus. So to listen in Matthew's gospel is to act. To listen is to repent. And to repent looked like turning around 180 degrees to change direction, to confess sin, to turn away from it and ask for forgiveness and enjoy reconciliation with the brother or sister who came to us. We read that proverb earlier. It just raises the question to us, would we be willing to receive humbly the words of a faithful friend? The goal is to gain. And as we do this, then it matters that the heart is humble. Through through chapter 18, Jesus is teaching us as a church how to view ourselves rightly. It starts with the great error in chapter 18, verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Well, that's the error. Who's the greatest? The answer comes in verse 3. Jesus said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So to be willing to do this, to be willing to either bear with one another in love, well, we need to see ourselves as little ones. 
If we see ourselves as great in the kingdom, we're likely to be easily offended or reluctant to count the cost of seeking out to pursue a little one in danger. Because we may find what Jesus is saying is daunting here. The, the burden is on the one who sinned against to pursue reconciliation. There's a possible relational risk. What if they don't listen? And we're a big church family, so it could be very possible just to avoid one another and hide away and never seek reconciliation. So as we do this, it will be costly. We'll need to think through whether to act or not. We'll ask ourselves, is this a clear matter of sin or is it just my personal preference? One pastor writing on this helpfully raised a diagnostic question. He wrote, is the emotion I'm feeling primarily one of compassion because of how this brother is hurting himself and Christ through his sin, or offence and outrage at how I've been treated. We'll take time to think through how to do this, the words, the wisdom, how we do it in a way that honours people, whether they're older or younger, that points them to Jesus' words with willingness to forgive. A humble heart matters so that we guard against misuse of this verse and do damage to little ones, And a humble heart matters so that we guard against neglect of this verse if a little one is going astray. So we've seen the issue and the attitude, a humble concern to gain a little one. And this underpins what Jesus goes on to show as what we call a loving procedure to gain a little one. A loving procedure to gain a little one. Verses 15 to 17 outline a four-step process. And it's loving because the goal is still always to gain. None of these steps is about punishment or revenge or retribution. Each of them is about restoration. And that's why the first step is to be private. Verse 15, that tiny little word there, but so significant, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Well, it seems so simple. It's really countercultural. It's really easy to forget. And it will involve real discipline. When someone sins against us, it hurts. And the knee-jerk reaction, well, it could be one to tell others. Or when we see someone fall into sin, again, the temptation to let a few others know, perhaps just for prayer. Perhaps it's to justify ourselves, to make others know we're greater. Perhaps it's to seek revenge by making it known a bit more widely. But we remember, when we remember the goal is gained, the heart is humble, we see how important this instruction is. Because we don't want to punish, we don't want to retaliate, we don't want to shame. We want reconciliation and restoration. We go as peacemakers. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. And he continues, for they shall be sons of God. That's so striking, isn't it? Because Jesus' family, his children, the sons of God, are marked by a knowledge of forgiveness and reconciliation. And so it seems that Jesus has in mind a situation where our brother or sister is given the opportunity to listen and confess and receive forgiveness and then walk forward as a disciple of Jesus and no one else need even know. That's so far, isn't it, from the world we live in where revenge is taken on social media platforms with devastating publicity and permanence. The goal is to gain and so the practice is private And in so many cases, verse 15 is all that is needed as the Holy Spirit brings conviction of sin and restoration and and our friend or brother says to us, thank you so much. Thank you so much for pointing that out to me. I'm sorry. Thank you so much for just steering me back. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. 
But sometimes a person won't listen. And so Jesus gives three more steps in the procedure. Verse 16, if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Again, the steps are so private. In the background here is Deuteronomy 19, where two or three witnesses are required to establish a charge. And so we're to go with just one or two others, still private. So that have, and then having listened and understood, it can be established whether the matter really is an issue of unrepentant sin. And if that's clear, then the confirmation by one or two more well, should help our brother or sister realize that they really are resisting Jesus' words and encourage them to turn back from danger. It's worth saying that there's no timing mentioned here in these verses. I take it that from when we go alone to any other stage, it will happen with much patience and prayerfully. We want to give good time for our brother or sister to consider the scripture, to listen to what's being said, to respond to God's word. Perhaps there'll be a number of meetings or conversations needed because we hope they would listen and turn away from sin and enjoy forgiveness and reconciliation to be gained. I think it's helpful at this stage to say something about occasions of sin where the situation is such where someone has been damaged at the level of abuse. In such situations, it seems to me very likely that the opportunity for that approach outlined in verse 15 has been removed by the nature of a person's sin against us. Whether the perpetrator claims to be Christian or not, whether a pe- where a person's been damaged at the level of abuse, it's absolutely right to speak to someone in authority. Because such a, in such a situation, speaking to your brother or sister may cause more harm to you. And one way to get help is to follow the safeguarding procedures we have here at St. Helens. You can find them on the notices under the doors, and there are details on the website under safeguarding. So where a private approach has not led to repentance, where a witness approach has not been listened to, Jesus says it's to become collective. Verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. If he refuses to listen, tell it to the church. Jesus doesn't give specifics about exactly how we work this out. We'll need to think about it in our own context. I don't think this demands that everyone in a local gathering is necessarily told. Wisdom would suggest church leaders or elders are involved. And here at St. Helens, our general principle is that the level to which the assembly is informed at this point is proportional to the level of the public nature of a person's ministry and their failure. If it were me or William doing this, you would need to know. But often this will work out at the level of a small group or a group within the church family that's appropriate where the personal sin is known. And again, the goal is always to gain. This is so that the church might support the call to repentance and that the brother or sister is encouraged to listen and be restored. But if the person still refuses to listen, there's a final step. Jesus says, if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And Jesus is talking here about the final step in what we might call church discipline. And the world's often critical of the thought of this, don't like the sound of it. But actually, if we stand back and think for a moment, the world has its own version, and it's called counselling or excluding or ignoring. And they're entirely arbitrary, and they tend to be brutal. Whereas quite unlike that kind of behaviour, the goal of church discipline 
At this point, having followed Jesus' loving procedure patiently and carefully, is to restore and never to punish. It's an act of love because its goal is to gain a little one in danger. And so Jesus says, if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Jesus uses those images. He's talking to his disciples. They're Jewish. They're categories they'd have understood. He's instructing the church to treat the person like a Jew would have then treated a Gentile or tax collector. And that is to relate to them as an unbeliever or as someone who's not part of the church fellowship. What he's not saying is that we're to make a final declaration about their salvation. He's saying we should just treat them like this on the basis of the evidence so that they might wake up to the serious eternal danger of unrepentance and turn back and receive forgiveness and be restored. At St. Helens here, it would typically look like stopping attendance at our small groups, which are a key aspect of our fellowship, and then carefully thinking through what wider contact looks like. And yet, with the door open, longing to welcome them back. Remember verse 13? And if he finds the sheep... Truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over 99 that never went astray. A humble concern to gain a little one, a loving procedure to gain a little one. And this all rests on a heavenly mandate to gain little ones. Sometimes people speak about trying to find heaven on earth, the perfect holiday destination. If you're a tennis fan, perhaps heaven on earth is centre court this afternoon at 2 p.m., Well, Jesus says there really is a place to find heaven on earth, and it's in the church. Because it's here we find the forgiveness and reconciliation of the kingdom of heaven displayed on earth. Verses 15 to 17 are about heaven being displayed on earth. So we read verse 18. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Binding and loosing in Matthew's gospel is about people and their place in the kingdom of heaven. To be bound is to remain captive to sin. To be loosed is to be freed from sin and its consequences. The gospel looses sinners. And so Jesus reminds us, well, where a brother's caught in sin and he listens and he repents, there's loosing. And their restoration on earth reflects the reality in heaven. And where a brother is caught in sin and refuses to listen to the point that they have to be put out of the fellowship on earth, well, that reflects that they are spurning the forgiveness that Jesus holds out. And so Jesus says, having been faithful to his loving procedure, the way you treat them on earth represents to them their relationship to the kingdom of heaven. But even more than that, as forgiveness and reconciliation are prioritized in the church, well, the world will see on earth the wonder of the kingdom of heaven, more clearly. But Jesus has more to say about this connection between heaven and earth. He goes on in verse 19. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Now, verse 19 is a wonderful promise to encourage us to be praying. But it's also a verse that can be taken out of context, as if to suggest that if two people agree on anything at all, then God will do it. So if Gwilym and I agreed afterwards that you know, he needed a promotion and I needed a sports car, well, then God would do it. I'm not sure he'd agree that I need a sports car anyway, but um, it makes no sense in the context. 
actually, because Jesus is talking to disciples who've taken up their cross to follow him, who've walking the way of the cross, losing their life, coming after him. And actually, the immediate context is about matters of forgiveness and reconciliation. So we need to think about that context. Forgiveness, reconciliation, prayer, and heaven and earth. I've been thinking about this in the week, and I found something very, very helpful um, from another um, one of the teaching staff here at St. Helens. Because where do we find forgiveness, reconciliation, prayer, and heaven and earth elsewhere in Matthew's gospel? Well, the Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, we said this morning, we pray that our Father's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in the Lord's Prayer, we find forgiveness and reconciliation are prominent. We say, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And so I wonder if here Jesus is actually encouraging us with great confidence to pray that our life together in the church would reflect the reality of forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration that is the case in heaven. Where necessary, we'll pray for the restoration of a brother or a sister as we work through this loving procedure, knowing we have a heavenly mandate to, praying that heaven will be displayed on earth. And as we do this, well, we have assurance that Jesus is with us. Verse 20, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. These really are amazing words for the church. Jesus is building his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he is with his church. And they're words that are really key in Matthew's gospel. In chapter 1, the angel says to Joseph, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the ending of Matthew's gospel, the very last words spoken by Jesus, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, as a church, when we take up our cross to follow Jesus, however small in number we may be, even just two or three, and once we seek to live out forgiveness and reconciliation and make heaven known on earth, well, Jesus will be with us. We can be confident as we seek to work this out together in our lives together, that he is with us. It's his word we're implementing, and he gives us his authority and we can experience heaven on earth. A humble concern to gain a little one, a loving procedure to gain a little one, and a heavenly mandate to gain a little one. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask that in us as your church, your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Please grant us to have humility, knowing that we depend on your grace for forgiveness and for reconciliation to be restored as your children. And so please grant us to love one another as your precious little ones. Please give us wisdom as we hear your word to us this morning, such that we'd have a true and godly concern for brothers and sisters. And might we be people, Father, where forgiveness and reconciliation, the marks of the kingdom of heaven, are known on earth. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.